you want to start at the top of the funnel first because that's where the most amount of customers are. If you can tweak the click-throughs and everything on the top of the funnel, you're going to continue down the largest amount of potential customers. Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to the Web Equity Show. I'm your host, Justin Cook, and I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman, and we are talking about our last episode for Season 2. We're talking how to grow your purchase websites. What's going on, Ace? What is up, man? Everybody gets real focused on buying their business. I think it's appropriate as we wrap up Season 2 that we get into how you grow the business once you get it closed and acquired and it's yours. Yeah, man. We covered everything in the season and we talked about how to get started, what kind of skills you need. We talked about due diligence. We talked about how to close the deal. We talked about transferring the site. This is the final episode. What the hell do you do with this business or this website once you purchase it? We've got a bunch of things we want to cover. Hopefully, you know, any buyers had a plan in place before they actually purchased the site. And for anyone listening to this podcast, they're kind of listening to this in advance before their purchase, and they can take some of these and decide whether or not it'd be a good buy for them. Yeah. I mean, it helps to at least think about these things when you're buying the business. And, you know, not every person is going to be a good fit for the business. But if you're looking at a deal and you know, hey, these are all the skills that are needed to grow this. This is what the work is going to look like once I buy it. And you can plan that out. Number one, you can figure out if it's really the right business for you. And number two, you'll be able to hit the ground running so that you can start growing that business immediately. That's right, man. All right, before we get into that, let's do some listener love. We've got a five-star review on iTunes from Brad Willits. Brad said, I started listening a few days ago and could not stop. What a great show. Thanks for introducing me to a whole new world. I'm learning WordPress. My first attempt is bradwillits.com. It's a work in progress for sure. Network with so many business people and entrepreneurs that'd be interested in getting involved. Thanks, guys, for doing this awesome show. And I hope to get to meet you guys one day. I actually think that's a great way to get started, Brad. If you're brand new to it and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You start off a brand in your own name that you can kind of like, you know, start attach an email address to, attach email subscribers to, set it up in WordPress. I think that's a really great way to get started. It's really low pressure, very, very, very low pressure to get that site up and running. And it gives you a feel for how to start a site. Yeah. And once you, it's really tough for a lot of people who the first experience with anything online is buying a site. Everything at that first closing is brand new. So even if you're not doing that, I recommend starting with a smaller deal just to go through that whole process of getting your hosting set up, getting the domain, getting the WordPress or whatever platforms uploaded. So all that, that's a great way to do it and not have to buy a site. All right, Ace, let's get into this, man. We're talking how to grow your purchase website. We're going to cover five general growth strategies that you can apply to almost any online business or website. And then we're going to look at five specific business strategies that may be more for e-commerce or a lead gen site, let's say. Honestly, there's so much to cover in this. Like We could have done a whole season on growth strategies. So I'll apologize in advance. This episode isn't going to be terribly in-depth. We're going to kind of cover briefly or mention briefly the strategies and kind of move on. But we'll put a lot of additional resources in the show notes if people want to take a look. 
Yeah. And, and we're like you said, we're going to run through these. There's so many to cover. We had to cut out a lot. So this gives you a primer. And the truth is, most people don't do the things that we're going to list out today. So while there is a lot more, don't get focused on that. Get to work on the things that we're talking about. So let's jump in. The very first thing is looking at the ad placement and optimization of the ads. So anytime I buy a site that has some advertising on it, the first thing I want to know is, you know, are there ads in every possible place that is allowable with the network that we're using to advertise on the site? And, you know, are we really maxing out all the available ad space on that site? Because if you can add an ad and immediately kind of increase the income day one, that's like a very easy way to kind of get that initial bump. One of the things that you want to consider with this is doing some split testing where, you know, it may actually not sometimes add to the income. So with all this stuff, it's about testing. So even as you're adding an ad or changing the placement of the ad, doing those split tests will give you the clear answer as opposed to just guessing. Yeah, Ace, you're right. So when you're talking about, you know, not having enough ads on the page, we've seen that with AdSense sites we've sold where there's only like two or three ads on the page where a company like AdSense, for example, allows more ads. So adding more ads there could potentially be a big win right from the beginning. If you're talking about split testing ads, there's, I think it's a plugin, it's called AmpSense, and it allows you to split test the ads, the AdSense ads or whatever on the page. I'm also gonna put some links in the show notes to some other ideas and pieces of content about split testing ads I think are pretty helpful. Yeah. The next thing is, are there some opportunities to get direct ads? And some people don't want to do the work here because it does involve going out, approaching people that may want to advertise with you and bringing them in. There are two ways to attract people. Number one is you've got a site with a ton of traffic. The other way is you're actually just in a really, really tight niche. I remember we bought a site years ago that was in the peer-to-peer lending space. And, you know, it was just early on and Prosper was just getting started. Lending Club didn't even exist yet. And so Lending Club came later. But because there weren't a lot of people talking about it, they were willing to pay us for advertising, even though we had barely any traffic. But, you know, we bought that site. It was in that niche and they wanted to be everywhere that that niche was talked that, about. That sounds like a bit of a hassle, Ace. Did you reach out to the companies directly? And like, who did you talk to to try and negotiate that? How's that work? Well, actually, the deal was done when we bought the site, which is one reason that I like to buy businesses is we didn't have to do that work. Mm. So the previous owner had done that work. And I mean, it was a pretty great deal, especially for the minimal amount of traffic that was coming in. But he had approached them, had negotiated a deal. And actually, it was great income. And he did that work. So I agree. That is a lot of work. But for the person that is in a niche like that, it could be worth it yeah. because that site, he wouldn't have gotten any, barely any money for it if he hadn't done the work to do that. Deal. That makes sense. It's a profitable niche too. And so if the site has a ton of traffic. It makes sense, right? I mean, because it's worth reaching out because there's so much opportunity and, and there's people that will want to be placed there and they're willing to pay you. For very tight niches that are very profitable, like PDP lending or something, I could see how 
you know, they'd like to be there and maybe not even so worried about the ROI. Like it's more of a branding play for them, right? They're, they're willing to do it, but it does take some work on your end, right? Some kind of hustle to kind of, to get that up and running for the direct ad. So yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I think it's definitely worth, worth trying out. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about just working on the ad placement, but one of the things is really optimizing the ad placement. You know, one of the companies that blew up partially because of this was Viral Nova, and they would have the ads that were right beneath the arrows to change the page and go from, you know, picture to picture. Yeah. And the ads would look pretty close to an arrow as well. <laughs> and, you know, I was amazed that people continued for a really long time to pay for those ads, but I guess they just wanted the traffic. But testing out that placement, you know, when you've got ads that are on certain sites, the header can be one of the weakest places to place an ad, even though, you know, you're still going to have it there. Some of the, the strongest places are when it's going to end the content or it's just right of the content, you know, right after the title. So those are some of the areas that you want to test out. Yeah, I think there's two trains of thought here too with like ads, right? Like one, you can blend in and look like the arrow to move to the next piece, right? If you're too sneaky with that, you can get in trouble with AdSense, but you know, if you're big like Viral yeah. Nova, you're probably okay. The other one is to like really clash with the site, right? To be like, you know, different color, look, look totally different to where it's very, very obvious and it, it attracts the eye. And the only really real way to figure out whether that works and whether that's going to work for the visitors and for the advertisers to test through it. Absolutely. All right, let's move to the next section. Test the pricing. Yeah, I like this. This is really interesting because, you know, a lot of times websites or businesses, they kind of choose their pricing arbitrarily, right? They haven't done a whole lot of testing. So it's actually worth asking the seller, like, you know, what pricing have you tested? Like, what pricing been? What are your pricing model? What were they previously? It makes a lot of sense. And one of the things you can do with pricing, right, is the first thing to do is just split test the pricing altogether. So if you have a $79 offer, make it 99, make it 129, make it 39. And you can do this with virtual website optimizers, one, any of the uh, split testing, page split testing services we use. I'll put a few more in the show notes, but you can just split test the pricing that way and just make each button a different price. It's a little weird, right? The consumer could refresh and, and get a different <laughs> price, but I, I think it's it's worth testing out, especially right after you purchase the site. Yeah, this isn't one of those things that you want to test long term because, like you said, it can hurt you. There are a lot of things that you want, you just want to always test. But this is one you want to get in, you want to hit the test hard and get it figured out and not have people refresh their page and see a different price. <laughs> the other thing you can do is you can add tiers, right? So you can put like a silver, gold, or platinum pricing. Maybe your platinum pricing was gold previously or at the gold level, and then you offer a lower price, you offer a higher price, and you add a bit more services for that and see which one people go for. One of the benefits here is that you can you know, basically anchor. So if I have a silver, gold, platinum, it originally was whatever the gold was, and I'm now calling that gold, I can make the platinum really high, right? So if it's like maybe the silver's 39 the gold is 79 and the platinum is 299. So people are like, wow, 299, I'm not doing that. The 79 seems way more reasonable next to that $299 price point. 
Another thing you can do is you can add B2B pricing. So if you have one package for one user, one package for three users, one package for five users, you can add a package that's, you know, need more than five users, contact us. And you can start doing, you know, 20 user, 50 user, 100 user based pricing for some of the larger companies. I saw someone that did this recently. There was a case study on someone who'd done this and they changed their pricing for these like B2B customers and got... I don't know, close like a $100,000 deal because of, I'll try to look that up and see if I can put that in the show notes, but really interesting. Yeah, and a big part of all of this is stepping into the mind of the person that you're selling to, you know, whether it's B2B or it's the a consumer, you know, like you talked about with the platinum versus the gold pricing. You want to be able to see things from their perspective and kind of guide them in the direction you want them to go. Another good opportunity is if you see an opportunity for recurring, you probably want to take it. There's a whole bunch of reasons for this. You know, businesses that have recurring revenue that are relatively stable and they have you know nice LTV are generally worth more. Buyers are willing to pay more for them. They're willing to give you a higher multiple. So recurring revenue is nice in a sale. But it's also just nice to have that stability of income, right? If you have the leaner months. So if you can add a recurring piece, I think that's valuable. Spencer over at Longtail Pro did this. Years ago, I think he was selling his software at a set price, one-time download, added some features, and then it just added like, it was like 19 bucks a month. But that 19 bucks a month added up over thousands of customers starts to make a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, especially with that business, is you want the motivation of constantly improving that and making that product better. And, you know, customers get that as well. So it becomes a win-win. All right, man, another thing you do is add new products, services, or income streams. One example of this would be to add related products, right? So for example, if I buy a drop shipping site that sells dog food bowls, I don't know why I picked that, but dog food bowls, <laughs> you can then take and add products like collars and leashes and things that would go along with that particular customer. If the business didn't have that before, I think that's an opportunity for you to expand. You may find, I mean, some of them are going to be losers, but you may find that one product that you're adding does significantly better than the main product that the site was known for. So I think there's a big opportunity there. Yeah, I really I love getting into deals and starting to test some of those things, especially now that you can use things like retargeting to pull them back and you can, you know, get them into a contest to win something after. Sometimes you don't want to confuse them too much when you're trying to get them straight to the sale. But, you know, you can have the pixel there, pixel them and follow up with a coupon or a contest or some bonuses and, you know, that kind of thing. So experimenting with that is huge. You can also take a site where it was kind of a one-off purchase and look for products, even if you don't make a ton of money on them, even if they're really low margin, but look for products that have recurring purchase power. So dog food, for example, in that same example, like they're going to have to go back and back for dog food. So if you can offer them, you know, and a very like specific type of dog food, because not the stuff they can just go to the store and buy. And if you can do that, you're going to get them coming back and back to your site. And it's just an opportunity, more opportunities for purchases, more opportunity to be shared, that kind of thing. So if it was a one-off purchase, look for products you can add that would be recurring. For example, like vapes or something in that space, you know, sell the cartridges, things like that. All right, man, another thing you do with product service or income streams is start capturing emails for promo offers. Now, I wouldn't do this with like an Amazon affiliate site, let's say, but a product or service site capturing their emails provides long-term value. You may take a short-term hit, 
by asking for their email, they may not purchase something or it may keep them from doing something else, clicking an ad or whatever. But by having that email in the long term, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, you can have this great customer and potential customer email base that you can use to send, you know, promos, to send all kinds of things. Yeah. And, you know, especially if you're introducing new products like we're talking about. So, you know, we just did a deal on a product that basically is in the cosmetic space. And it's not very obvious that it's a business where there's going to be recurring revenue. But as we started to reactivate a lot of those old customers with the emails, we were able to get them excited about signing up for this recurring service. So what you promote can really tie in to some of the other ideas that we're talking about, but you want to get those emails and you know you definitely want to test out different things beyond just, hey, buy this thing, buy this thing, you know, coming up with the new services, the new products, the recurring types of concepts with the product as well. I'm not sure I'm with you on this next one, Ace. You've got uh, your next note there. I'm going I'm to let you hang yourself. So go ahead and explain this one and I'm going to come in and, uh, and see if I can beat you up. Yeah, yeah. So the other one you definitely have to be careful with is, you know, banner ads and selling affiliate products. When you're in a business, there can be complementary things that, you know, aren't a direct competitor to you. And this is something that goes back to that whole retargeting thing that we're talking about a bit ago. So one of the things that we're testing right now is retargeting on the front end when we have an abandoned cart. So somebody's come, they picked out the product, they wanted it. And even a lot of times they get to the page, but then, you know, we don't get them pixeled on the, you know, transaction completion page. And so now the way you market to that person becomes a lot different than a brand new customer. And so you want to try to get some money out of them. And this is when you can start to market affiliate products, especially if you try to get them back and they don't come back. You can start to get just other people that want to sell, even a competitor in some cases, but at the very least doing some complimentary type of products. All right, man. So I I don't know. So you, you mentioned two things here. So the first is the banner ads, right? And placing banner ads on your site. I'm against that 95% of the time. Here's my, here's my reasoning, right? Like even if it's not a competitor, let's say it's like a parallel product or something. Yes, they click through, they go there. In general, you're still losing that click. So for whatever money you got paid by having that banner there, you're losing by not having your main product. And you know, your main product should be your best and most profitable offer, right? Whether it's product or service or whatever. So if they go anywhere else, you're losing money. Now you're saying if they would have gone somewhere anyway, but I don't know that. And that's really hard to know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, you can try to test for that, but everyone says that the truth is you're not going to, I think ultimately you're going to be losing money on that deal. Now with the affiliate products, I don't hate that. So if I have an e-commerce business and I'm selling this product, I don't want to stock all the other products that are related to the niche. I'd rather just have them available as an affiliate and send them over to someone else. I careful though. I mean, if they're selling the same products that I am and I'm sending them over there and then they just go back to them next time and not me, that could hurt business. So I'm pretty much no on the banner ads. I may be okay with the affiliate products, just depending. I don't know. What do you think, man? Yeah, yeah. So the, the real key here is... You know, even with the banner ads, it's more of an affiliate. It's like, you know, when I put their sale banner ads. So this isn't AdWords. 
This isn't something where, you know, you're just throwing up an ad network. You've got to go out and build a relationship with somebody and actually make a sale. And you're building more of a partnership with them. The ideal scenario would be, hey, we're going to do this. We'll give you this many impressions. You put ours over here. You give us these impressions. These are customers that aren't going to buy from us, that kind of thing. But you're right. I mean, ideally, this isn't something especially that you want to throw on the site <laughs> as soon as you buy it. All of these things, you know, you know, when you get into like the banner ads and even the affiliate product testing, you want to make sure that you're doing it on the back end and that these are things that you've done after you've promoted related products, you've kind of come up with some promo offers to the email and done those tests way before you get to these. All right, man. Next thing you can focus on is conversion rate optimization. And generally, you want to take a top-down approach with this. You want to focus on kind of the biggest, most massive and sweeping changes down to the smallest stuff. So when you hear someone talking about CRR and they're like, oh, change the button from blue to red, that's maybe if you get there someday, sure. Great. That's fantastic. But in general, as a place to start, no, make a big sweeping change. And and one of the things you can do there is to optimize the first things that are seen, right? So the headline, right? The sub headline, the first bit of content, like the first things customers see on the homepage or elsewhere are a great place to start when it comes to conversion rate optimization. Ultimately, you're talking about a funnel, right? If people that are coming to your site, you want to start at the top of the funnel first because that's where the most amount of customers are. If you can tweak the click-throughs and everything on the top of the funnel, you're going to continue down the largest amount of potential customers. Yeah, you know, people get into the small stuff before they test the big things. You know, when it comes to the headlines, email headlines, we've been doing a lot of testing with just when we send an email out, what's going to compel them to get it open? What can we put in that first sentence that's going to get them to read the rest of it? And, you know, most importantly, what's going to get them to click because they're not going to do a transaction in the email. So what's going to get them to click to get them back to the site? So and even, you know, kind of on that back end. Once they get to the site, what's the content that's going to keep them there? What's the related content to get them to, to go around on the site? And what's going to get them to eventually check out or click an ad or become a lead, depending on the type of business it is? Yeah, 80-20 are here, right? Like focus on titles and headlines. Look at email headlines. Look at the first sentences and look at your calls to action, right? Like if you cover that, you'll, I think that's a great place to start. Now you can dig further and further as you go down the tunnel, but like that's, I think, a really good place to start. You know, it brings to another point, Ace. Let me ask you this. It's kind of an aside, but definitely related to this. You know, we have buyers that have like two trains of thought, right? One of them will, they won't touch the cider business. They'll generally leave it alone, just continue doing exactly what was done before. And they'll do that for three or four months. And they do that to kind of establish a baseline, see where they're at, and then start to make the improvements. Others, a week after they've purchased it, they're already making changes. They're getting into, they're adding SEO, they're adding pieces of content, they're offering, they're changing their conversion rate. Like, what do you think, man? Do you start messing with the site right away? Do you wait a few months or does it depend? No, not definitely never a few months. If anything, a few weeks just to make sure that the purchase is real and, and everything checks out and is working the way that it's supposed to. So we may give it a couple of weeks. And so I'm probably right in between. I don't think that you need as much time as a couple of months. Really, all you need to do is just verify that 
what was happening with the previous owner is now happening. And, and that can happen in a few days because the truth is, you know, in due diligence, you've got that history. You already know what it's been doing for the last three months. Yep. You know, so you don't need another three months. You, you know, you know, in its current state, this is what it's been making. So you take a few days, make sure that is continuing and then you can get into making changes. So I really like to get in and start working on it, you know, hopefully improving it as quickly as possible. All right, man, let's move into improving the SEO. And this is something you can do for almost any site, any site that relies on organic search traffic for sure. And a lot of times when you've built a site and you've got anything from, you know, 20 to hundreds or even thousands of pieces of content in there is you miss things, right? The builder missed things. They didn't tweak everything. They didn't optimize everything. So going back through and fixing some of those things can be really valuable. For example, title tags, meta descriptions, right? That page is ranked in the SERPs and that meta description is showing up. Like it's not just about the SEO value. It's also about the click-through value, right? So if you can change that meta description to be more interesting or enticing to get people to click on the page on the Google SERP page, they're more likely to visit you and your click-through rate on the search engines improves. You can do content tweaks. You can also start doing some social media promotion. I'm just kind of fixing things that weren't done and making little tweaks to it in terms of SEO, I think is a quick win. Yeah. And and those content tweaks are something that you do have to be a bit careful. You don't want to go in and start making a ton of changes, especially if you're dependent on some SEO juice. But the other thing is, once you've got some great content, you need to let people know. And so doing some internal linking on the site can be huge for a lot of these sites, because if somebody comes in, they come to one article and they're reading it, and, you know, this, you don't want to make them have to search for the related content or search for another great article that they're going to love. So doing some internal linking is a lot more about just getting great stuff in front of the visitors than it is any SEO juice. But the, also you want to have the external links. And the key here is making sure that it's real. You know, we have done a couple deals where people have had links from like, very high profile, you know, top 500 and Alexa type sites that are well known. Huffington Post and, and Forbes and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 That kind of thing where it's like, okay, Google is not going to punish you ever for a link from Forbes. And so, you know, when you're getting those kind of things, that's super, super valuable. Yeah. I think internal links can be really valuable, but external links are are going to make or break you, right? Those can be the, the really good ones <laughs> and the really bad ones. And, uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of people have success with, but it is scary, are PBNs, right? Those are the private blog networks where they either own them themselves or they're paying someone else for links from their PBNs. And what a PBN is for anyone that's, you know, clear, it's a huge amount of blogs that are not necessarily associated with the site that are normally kept relatively private that have a bunch of link juice and you can put links on those sites to your money site to give them additional link juice and you use the right anchor keywords and you can help get them ranked for certain key terms. Now, you know, it's a gray hat or black hat. It's not illegal, but it is against, you know, kind of uh, Google's interest. It's against what they say they want from you. So you always run a risk with PBNs. But having those links, especially for something that's kind of a boring niche, like if you're not getting Forbes write-ups or having them post write-ups, can be really, really valuable. In terms of tools you can use to do some of this stuff, I mean, Moz is something we use, the Moz Pro account. You can use SEM Rush, I think, to kind of like review your backlinks, review your page and see like where the link juice is going and where you have some value and where you don't. 
Yeah. You know, you, you want to do that research really from the beginning. So definitely check out Moz and SEM Rush. All right, man, let's talk specific growth strategies. The first one we have is for advertising sites. And, you know, we'd want to say one of the things you can do, and we have a customer that does this very specifically, is he looks to purchase AdSense sites and he only buys AdSense sites that he can convert them over to Ad Exchange. He knows how to make quite a bit more money with Ad Exchange. And so he looks for sites that are exactly in that position. Now, for advertising, like if you try like media.net, you can give them a shot. What is it like text links and stuff? You can give them a shot. But a lot of times they're going to be worse than AdSense. But you can improve on AdSense by converting to Amazon, converting to a lead gen site. Now, it may require quite a bit of work to make those changes, and you have to do that over time. But you can start adding content. Instead of messing with the content that's already there and risking hurting those in the rankings, you can start adding new content that has Amazon affiliate links or that is a lead gen for something else and kind of see how it goes from there. Yeah, and one of the things that I love with buying the AdSense sites is that that is kind of at the bottom. You know, I guess test links is even lower, but, you know, all of the monetization strategies that you're going to do after that should lead to a higher ROI. And so as you're climbing up that ladder, tying out some of those things can be really valuable. The other thing is to just allow at least four private bidders. So we talked about some of the headache of going out and trying to sell the ads if that's literally your only monetization strategy. But if you're getting traffic and you're making good money from Amazon or lead generation or AdSense, to be able to go and at least have the possibility of talking to somebody who is interested in advertising on your site, that could be a bonus income and not necessarily something you're, you're depending on. So just adding a page like, you know, advertise on our site and a lot of people sign up there could be valuable. All right, man, let's talk e-commerce. And here, the first one, the major piece that really sticks out to me is expanding the use of an email or customer list, right? Because a lot of times an e-commerce business, you know, they have an email list, they're not utilizing it well, they don't have like card abandonment follow-up emails. They may not even have an email list at all. They just got a list of customers. And by turning that into a customer list, you can start to use things like sales, discounts, coupons to bring those customers back and have them buy more from you already. That's a quick win. Yeah. Another one is the offering free shipping. So we've got a site we just started doing this a bit on and we'll see how it turns out. But it seems that there's a bit of a bump, not anything huge. But I think Amazon has got, you know, with Amazon Prime, like the really heavy buyers online are just, they don't want to pay shipping. (laughs) It's like, oh, what's this extra cost? Like I thought I was paying this and now I have to rethink, do I want to pay for this? And so obviously as the seller or the e-commerce business owner, from your perspective, you've got to raise that price. You're not going to just eat that cost and let it eat your margin. This irks to, all right, dude, this is a pet peeve, man. I don't understand this either, but it's totally psychological. The free shipping thing, it blows my mind. Yeah. It's not free. Someone's paying for it. You're paying for it. It, costs. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, But I think people think in their head, if they see the price and they go, oh, that's a reasonable price, and then they see the free shipping, it really feels free. So they were already in when they saw the price of the item. And like, yep. they're like, that's a reasonable price. I'm willing to pay for it. I guess I'll have to pay shipping. And then they go through and they're like, oh, shipping's free. That's awesome. Done. I'm in. Right? Because it really becomes another sales job. Like when I see, especially on the smaller items, they see something, it's $15. They're like, oh, great. That's a great, you know, it's a $200 thing. And a lot of times it's not as big a deal. 
But then, you know, it comes to the shipping and it's like, oh, six more bucks. Twenty one dollars is yeah. a, it's actually just psychologically a big difference from 15. I mean, another thing you can do with e-commerce is just by adding a phone number, it can improve your conversions. And again, it's crazy. But by putting the phone number up there, yes, you're going to get some calls or whatever. So have it go to a number that you can respond to. It can even be an automated message number or whatever. But just by having a phone number on there, it improves the trust factor for someone that's looking to purchase from you. It's like it gives them the warm and fuzzy. Oh, there's a phone number I could call. I don't need to call. Let me just go ahead and purchase this. It's a crazy psychological trick. Another thing you do is like if you buy an e-commerce business that doesn't have great product selection, start to add those kind of parallel products. We mentioned this earlier, add products that customers are going to buy, especially if they're recurring. So if you can get them add products, even at low margin, but to get them to come back and buy some of the higher margin stuff and to get on your email list and to come back regularly, that's great. And the last piece for e-commerce sites we'll say is you can perform a product profitability analysis. So basically go through product by product and look at how much profit each product is actually bringing you. And you can adjust your pricing strategy to match that. So if you've got some products that are way profitable, try to move those to the forefront. You can offer, you know, deals on them, you can really, you know, try to get them front and center. If you've got some products that aren't as profitable, either move them to back, consider dropping them or increasing the price so you can make them uh, more profitable and get to margins you need. Well, this next one we've been doing a lot of lately. These are affiliate sites and there's a few ways to grow these. A lot of people feel like, oh, if I get an affiliate site, there's not a ton that I can do with it to instantly grow it. And and when it comes to e-commerce, I mean, they're just very specific things. We didn't even talk about improving the ads or doing retargeting for shopping carts, et cetera. But on affiliate sites, you can improve them. One of the things is to improve the sales copy. You know, it's great to be informative and that's the job of a lot of the affiliate sites. But you got to understand that your real goal is for them to buy the product that you're talking about. You yeah. know, at the end of the day, you're trying to make a sale. And so well, a lot of what we do with this content is really adding in calls to action. Another thing is cleaning up the links. You know, when when you have these affiliate links, you really don't want to have any non-affiliate links in any prominent places. You also want to make sure that all of the affiliate links are your affiliate links. <laughs> you know, we've seen deals where, you know, they're still oh, in the, the sellers. Yeah. The seller still has that link there or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah that can be a problem. I think, yeah, having no loss, right? What, what is it called? There's a term for it, but having no leakage, right? Leakage, leakage on the page. Yeah. So you don't want people clicking on links that aren't affiliate links. You want them going through. You want them buying stuff. You want to make your images affiliate links. Every single thing someone can click and go somewhere else, you want that to be an affiliate link. You can also improve the product copy fit. So sometimes it's talking about whatever, a particular topic, and the product that's being offered doesn't really fit as well. Or, you know, that product doesn't convert as well. So it might be worth testing some of the other products in there that might be a better product copy fit. One of the things you can do too is improve the visual appeal. So if the, if the site doesn't look terribly trustworthy, it just kind of looks like something was thrown together. Improving the visual appeal can be helpful. It can also hurt you though too. So, you know, if it's, I'd only do that if it's particularly bad or, you know, I have like bigger kind of long-term vision for it that I need the layout and the design to be better, to be higher quality. And this last one is huge, Justin, the honest reviews. Key word being honest. Nowadays, people are really reading through a lot of fake stuff. 
And, you know, I tell people here, you want to do the opposite of what we said before with sales copy. Here, you do not want it to sound like sales copy at all. It has to sound like two real people having a conversation. And when two people are just having a conversation about a product, they're not acting like a car salesman. They're just having a conversation. So make sure you have that very conversational tone when you've got those reviews and just real honest reviews. Yeah, non-honest reviews can sell okay, right? I mean, they do okay, let's be honest. <laughs> they, they do okay, but honest reviews are more enticing. You're gonna get more people that are like, okay, I see that they're seeing this product or that product. You're an affiliate for either, right? You make money on either you've given me like an honest assessment and I feel comfortable making my decision based on that. Like that's helpful. It's like truly and genuinely helpful and people are going to appreciate that and go through you to the deal done. All right, man, let's talk lead gen sites. One of the first things you can do with a lead gen site is a test from a second or third lead buyer. Let's say you're buying a site and it's Quinn street. Why don't you test out at least on a few of the pages, campus explore, right? So you can start testing out a few different providers to see if you can you know, make more money with them and make them compete against each other. You can also test direct. So in the like, you know, education space, instead of Quinn Street or Campus Explorer, if you have one that's converting really well, reach out to that school and see if they'd be willing to pay directly. Now, again, that's a ton of work. So you'd have a lot of work in front of you, but you could cut out the middleman completely. Yeah, it's we're actually doing this exact test right now where we've got Quinn Street, we're adding Campus Explorer on some of the pages and just doing a test to see which one is paying out the most. Because Part of it is the conversion, but then the other part is, you know, what's the actual payout and all that. So also, it it's, little- it's worth split testing the forms too, right? So like if they have uh, different lead forms and they pay different amounts, you can test those out too and see, okay, which one converts better and makes me more money? Are we all happier with? Make sure on Legion sites that you have lots of internal links, more for navigation than anything else, not really for SEO, but so they stay on the page. So they're enticed to go to another page to get more information and then potentially fill out that form. If they, you know, if page views are like, you know, 2.1 per user and you can improve it to 3.2 page visits per user, you're going to make more money. You're going to get more leads. Another thing you do is ask, especially, uh, for like the smaller companies, but ask them for a better rate. Say, look, we've been doing this for a long time. I really want to grow with you. If you can give me a better rate above and beyond X amount of leads per month, I'll continue to work with you, right? I was testing out your competitor, but I'll work with you if you give me this better rate. Never hurts to ask. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you're building a relationship. So staying in touch with them also keeps you top of mind so that they're coming to you with things, you know, with, with the networks that we're on, they come to us first. Like, Hey, you know, we think this is going to make you a lot more money, that kind of thing. You know, we'll bump you up to this if you test it, or if you could tell them like, Hey, you know, well, I'd love to test this out and and help you guys, but you know, can I get a hundred percent of the commission or, or whatever? The next thing is service businesses. And, you know, we don't do a ton of these deals. We've got a couple of them. we got one service business we actually bought from you guys. But when it comes to the service businesses, you want to make sure, first of all, that you're going to be able to go in and deliver. But after that, one of the big things that we've seen with our deals is improving that conversion rate. The thing with a lot of the service businesses is they do get focused on the delivery and the front end sales isn't as good. You know, people have to reach out. They're kind of coming after them to get the service access to them because the person who's running it is tied up actually 
delivering to the other customers. So you want to make sure that you have a pre-sale strategy, that you have a funnel, that you know, you're optimized, your conversion, and you know, you're making as much money as possible. That that's the biggest opportunity with these. I like that, Ace. That's an interesting point you make too. A lot of times, I'm gonna repeat it because it's worth repeating. A lot of times the person delivering the service is also doing kind of like the front end sales and answering questions. And so you run into this feast or famine mode, right? Where they've got a bunch of deals they're trying to deliver the work on and then they're free up and they can do sales again. So you're missing out on deals if that person has to do both and gets too busy delivering to actually kind of handle those pre-sales questions. So having someone separate for the pre-sales or like having that not be a bottleneck for the guy delivering the service or whatever product or service it is, is really important. I also think it's important to add real testimonials from customers. Like, you know, let them know that, yes, you know, here are the people that are actually buying this. Yes, they're real people. You can go look them up. And again, you can add a phone number. I think it's a nice touch. Plus, you can start to get feedback from these people on why they like your service, why they don't like your service, and actually talk to your customers, especially after buying a new business, talking to some of these customers that are looking to pay for a service will really help you improve that service. You weren't the creator. You weren't the one that built this from scratch. So getting a feel for them as a new buyer, I think is really important. I think with any service-based business, talking to your customers as soon as you take it over is a really good idea. All right, man. So let's do a wrap up for this episode. Of course, we couldn't cover everything, but that should give our listeners a pretty good idea on what they can do next and some ideas and strategies they can start to implement. And this is a wrap for season two, buddy. Our best tips, tricks, and strategies for website and online business buyers. Yeah. So we'll be back for season three in a few months. Thanks for all the feedback, the emails, the social media love. And next time, we're going to be talking about sellers. Yeah, buddy. We're talking about sellers. We're going to take them all the way through like the beginning of like kind of creating their business, some of the things they can do a long term down the road. They don't even see the light at the end of the time yet, but things they can do from the beginning to set up their business the correct way to help sell it all the way through actually getting the deal done. And so we're going to talk from the seller side. It's going to be... The same idea, but we're going to talk about it quite a bit differently and look at it from a different perspective. I think you're going to like it. So we're going to be gone a couple of months. We'll probably be back. We're thinking maybe July or August. But if you want to say hi to us in the meantime, you can check us out on Twitter. I'm at Empire Flippers. Ace is at Ace Chapman. Or you can go to EmpireFlippers.com or AceChapman.com to say hi, send us a contact, something like that. So again, if you send us any emails or leave us any speak pipe messages, we'll be sure to put them in the next season. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show. 